With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Paul Thacker is an American investigative journalist based in Spain and founder of the Disinformation Chronicle, a newsletter that reports on corruption in science and medicine. He won a 2021 British Journalism Award for a series in the British Medical Journal that investigated the financial interests of medical experts advising US and UK governments during the COVID-19 pandemic. A separate investigation he wrote for the BMJ looked at problems in the clinical trial for Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. That article was the finalist for an Investigative Journalism Award and is the most highly viewed article in all of science in 2021. He's written on conflicts of interest and corruption in science and medicine for multiple outlets over the seven years, including the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, the New England Journal of Medicine, the New Republic, Vice, Slate, JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, Environmental Science and Technology, and Mother Jones. For several years, he led a series of high-profile investigations into the United States Senate, looking into corruption in science and medicine. This work led to reforms in medicine, including passage of the Physician Payment Sunshine Act and heightened conflicts of interest policies at the National Institutes of Health. And he broke the Pfizer whistleblower story in 2021, COVID-19. Researcher blows the whistle on data integrity issues in Pfizer's vaccine trial, which starts off in autumn 2020, Pfizer's chairman and chief executive Albert Borla released an open letter to the billions of people around the world who were investing their hopes in a safe and effective COVID vaccine to end the pandemic. Here's the quote. As I've said before, we are operating at the speed of science, Borla wrote, explaining to the public when they could expect a Pfizer vaccine to be authorized in the United States. We were interested in getting Paul D. Thacker on to RCR. To talk about the art, is it an art? Is it a dark art? And the new rock star category, well, it was back then a few years ago, of science communicator. And Paul Thacker is with us now. Welcome, Paul, to our radio station, Reality Check Radio. And hey, uh, nice to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, that speed of science thing that I just mentioned. Um, I thought that that was a lot more recent, that term, but I noticed that um, Borla, who is the uh, chief executive CEO or the chairman of uh, Pfizer, said that back in 2021 as you reported it. So that that yeah. um, puts a timeline to that. Yeah, he, he had um, – this had to do with when they were rolling out the vaccine because, you know, this va- you know, they were trying to get a vaccine out. Normally it takes years for a vaccine to come to market. And, um, you know, we in the States, we put together this thing called Operation Warp Speed. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, the, the guy who was running it is a former um, executive at GlaxoSmithKline, who, when I was running investigations in the Senate, I caught him lying about the dangers of a drug called Avandia, which is the best-selling drug on the planet at the time, back in 2009, best-selling drug on the planet for diabetes. And um, there was a study that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine that found it was linked to cardiovascular events. I mean, that's like, that's what's exact opposite. (laughs) I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the reason why you're taking these drugs for diabetes is because you're trying to prevent cardiovascular events. 
And it, it took several years, but in the process of investigating this, we found out that they had, you know, they 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 had um, when that study had been presented um, to the New England Journal of Medicine, one of the peer reviewers for, for it had leaked it over to GlaxoSmithKline. Uh, so they knew immediately what the study was going to come out and say. Um, and it's funny, they actually did it, their own GSK from the emails uh, that were released. They had done their own statistical analysis of the NEJM study, found it to be sound. And then the next day drafted a press release to come out to say that the study was wrong. And th this is weeks before like the study's even been released. And the guy who was running that at the time is a guy named Monsef Sliawi, who I found out also misled Congress about when he testified later, he lied to Congress about the dangers of Avandia. And um, so I wake up one morning and guess who's in charge of Operation Warp Speed? Monsef Sliawi. Well, that so. sends a chill, doesn't it? A bit. Yeah. It makes you wonder. Because you know that they lie. Well, well, yeah. I mean, the, the issue is a lot of these corporations have long, you know, ra rather um, glorified histories of misleading people about the dangers of their products. Um, the thing that we're really interested in, in sort of uh, hearing what you have to say about is this whole area of science communication, because it seems, well, to many people, me included, and many of our audience members, that this is a sort of a crucial piece part of the whole persuasion regime around what we've just been through. And it seems that um, not only in our country, but in other countries, there have been personalities that have sort of grown out of this, communicating, you know, the science message um, relating to this, but also um, for other things as well. And they've sort of become kind of rock stars. I don't know how they're doing now. Um, where, where do we start with science communication when did it become a thing do you think well it's kind of always been around if you go back and you look back historically i mean so now i'm talking about the united states i'm an american so i can only tell you about you know the way it works in america yeah um science journalism kind of grew out of and i'm thinking it's right around world war ii and the need to communicate things so it kind of almost started off as a bit of kind of like almost like um like public relations for the government's like, you know, point of view on science issues. Now, over time, you know, it's, you know, become more independent, one would argue. But inevitably, science writers, you know, I, I don't call them science reporters. I say they write, they don't report. Right. Um, they, 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 they tend to have right narratives, you know, so there's a narrative out there. And their job is to sort of like, you know, oh, hey, here's the new latest thing. Like, let's let, let's rewrite that story again. Um, and and they're kind of captured in many ways, in part because, well, first off, a lot of people who go into science journalism, I mean, they just they really love science. I mean, these people are very excited about science. Yeah. And they love writing about it. They love reading about it. They love hanging out with scientists. They love the whole thing. Right. It's. Sort of like, I mean, you know, it could be an interesting read, but, you know, I mean, who ends up becoming music journalists? I mean, there are people who like to hang out with, you know, there are yeah. people who like to hang out and with the band. Tell the you stories, know? right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you're, you're going to go read some music journalists and expect that you're going to, like, find out, like, what this guy's really doing. It's like, hey, it's cool to hang out with the guy in the band. So it has that kind of, you know, angle to it. Um so they're they're captured by in many ways in their sources. The other problem that this is again something that's happened in the last I think six or seven years, 
when you look inside the sort of organizations that run you know, science writing organizations, you find that they all seem to have like one, they all seem to like lean towards one political party, which is always a little, which, a little which bit. Which one do you think that might, might be? Uh, well, I can tell you in America, it's a Democratic Party. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying like, you know, I don't have any problem with Democrats. I don't have any problem with the Republicans. But in any in any situation in which you're only drawing people who have one political viewpoint, that's just not good. You're not going to get the entire spectrum of people. You're going to see them sort of, you know, looking down on people who don't share their other viewpoints. I think have nothing to do with science, you know. Um, so there's that aspect shaping it. And then the other problem you have is that a lot of them seem they get so overawed with the science and the new science that they don't look at things that really, really are about the science, but aren't like, you know, about data. And I'll give you an example. You know, in the United States, we had a half century of propaganda brought to us by the tobacco industry, you know, and how did they do that? I mean, they they it's you know very clearly laid out in, in history books. Um, you know, they captured academics. They decided we're going to hire academics to write these studies for us. And then we're going to present them to the science journalists. There's a really interesting um, the the PR firm behind this was um, called Hill and Knowlton, which is a, now a global PR firm. Um, and there's a memo from the 60s with um, John Hill, who's the, the PR firm's named after. And he talks about how the fact that you know, it's something along. He says like, and you couldn't, you couldn't do it without the science journalists. You know, so he made it clear that like their whole PR campaign relied upon the science journalists, and you know, so in many, and now in the American media, the way a lot of this is captured is, you know, hey, it's the science. When you talk to other reporters at the big newspapers. They giggle about it. They don't call it science. They call it psychom. Like that's it's like, and it's like psychom. That sounds like, like a, a military term almost. No, no, no. It's more like making fun of people. Like, ooh, psychom. Oh, right. Like, I got you. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not like really journalism because you don't really report. It's just let me go run to these scientists who I know are smart, and then I'll just write down what they say. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, if you had if you had the mayor of a city, and there's a you know the reporter who's covering you know the mayor of the city, and his entire article was just based upon like. You know, whatever the mayor says is true. You know, you'd, you'd have a hard time believing that. But and that's kind of like the way si the science writing profession kind of functions. Yeah. So what, what what's the relationship between science communicators and science journalists then? Well, I mean, at times there's almost it's hard to tell what the difference is. Right. I mean, you'll see like these science journalists actually even, you know, tweet out you know, the hashtag psychom, you know, at times like, hey, this is psychom. And, you know, and one of the main sort of leaders in this area of, you know, emphasizing the importance of here's the facts and here's the story and here's what you need to know is this group called the Science Media Center, which started up around, I don't know, 25 years ago or something like that. It's now all over the planet. And, you know, the latest, you know, I mean, I, I've watched them forever. I know what they do. They're incredibly influential in the UK, by the way. They're in shaping um, narratives and shaping stories. Oftentimes you'll see stories come out and the only sort of, you have to put in air quotes, outside expert, end quote, you know, will be the Science Media Center, you know, or someone, 
who, you know, they, they put out canned quotes, press releases about new studies and such. And you can rip off, you know, one of their one of their um, quotes. And but you won't be told is that, you know, about a third of their funding comes from corporations, you know, corporations that have interests in the actual news that science, you know, the science media center is trying to influence. And the other ones are, you know, governments also fund science media center. And so I just I kind of see them as, you know, just sort of the official viewpoint of the governments and the corporations. That's how I see Science Media Center and people who work with them. And there's there's examples of some of this stuff that we can go into if you want. Yeah, I'd like to, because um, we have uh, one of the government uh, ministries or departments, you'd probably call it, um, in in the U.S. that is involved in supporting our Science Media Center. So you just mentioned that. Well, we've got that here. And when you talk about um, the the funding and the support um, of the media centers, how does that trickle down then to what is reported and distributed by them? Is there some kind of understanding that? Um... Well, so the latest example that came out was there was a panel um, in England and um, about uh, ultra processed foods. Okay, and so these are you know, essentially what you want to call junk foods, right? So, you know, chips, I think you guys call them crisps, um, you know, crackers, yep. you guys call it biscuits. You got, you guys don't, you guys have all the wrong words. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, Maybe as you got the wrong words. <laughs> anyway. I speak, I, I speak English 2.0. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, gotcha. so, um, you know, it's, it's just sort of come to light, you know, for a long time, nutrition, first off, you understand nutrition is incredibly complicated. You know, I took a nutrition uh, advanced course in college in nutrition. It's very, very complicated. There's huge fights about, you know, what studies show what and what are proper diets, um, you know, and it's going to keep going on and on because the science is very unclear about, um, you know, what particular diets we should be taking. I think, you know, in, in broad strokes, I think we kind of know what to do. Um, but one of the things that's percolated up to the top, and I would say in the last 10 years, you know, in the past, it was, you know, what are the calories, the kind of fats, um, carbohydrates, salt, that kind of stuff. And what we've come to realize, I would say over the last 10 years, is there's something beyond just that in the way when foods are processed, right? That ultra processed foods, something in what happens in that that food also becomes bad. Now, I don't think we totally understand why that is, but there's definitely an understanding that processing foods like, and I'm not talking about like, you know, you know, canning something, you know, I'm talking about like, you know, the kind of the stuff that you pull out of the cupboard and you look on the ingredient list and the ingredient list goes on for, you know, like, you know, two paragraphs, Yeah. you know, in some of the words you don't even know, you yeah, know, like chemical names that you've never heard of before chemical names and, and things that were done. And like, you're like, what is this thing? You know? And, 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 or, you know, the other thing is like, you can leave it on your counter for days and it's fine. It doesn't start you know molding. You're like, well, why is that? Yeah. In the sun. You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and so there was a panel to discuss this in the UK and it was, I think it was organized by science media center. They, 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 you know, put it together and it, the guardian in the UK um, reported that, a lot of the scientists on this panel, surprise, they had ties to the food industry. <laughs> yeah. 
never thunk, right? Uh, yeah. So then, well, what the BMJ did, and this is um, the editor that I work with over there, because you, know, you know she and I have discussed the Science Media Center, and she pointed out that also it wasn't just the panelists that the science media had put together, that they had financial ties to the food industry. Science media itself had financial ties to, to the food industry. But you see, the reporters don't really know to look into that, to ask those questions, because they're just looking for something. They see, aha, this is Professor So-and-so at this university. Like, what does he do? He's an esteemed epidemiologist, or he's got he's been there for like you know 25 years. She's got over 125 publications, and she's the uh, chairman of the department of blah blah blah. And so they just go with the quote, and there's never any you know questions asked, like, well, what are the conflicts of interest? Now, what's interesting about financial conflicts of interest, right? A lot of times when you ask scientists about this, they'll say, oh, well, that doesn't matter because, you know, that there's that's just the data. The interesting thing about financial conflicts of interest is that we have science on financial conflicts of interest. We have a, a, a lots and lots and lots of research showing the influence of money and how money influences science. So when you hear people or when you read about people, right, or you see an example of someone ignoring the financial inf the financial conflicts of interest of a researcher they're citing, they're actually ignoring science, believe it or not. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a very naive sort of attitude to it if you're a journalist. Well, that's I think the first obvious question, isn't it? Um, Usually. you would think so, like, you know, who funded this study, like, you know, who's behind this, who's doing this, but oftentimes journalists, especially in the science writing field, you know, I mean, they're oftentimes close to the science media center. You know, there's an example of, you know, one of the things that I saw that, you know, was very, very interesting. Uh, this is, goes back about eight years. And this was back during a time when Monsanto, they have a, a chemical called glyphosate, which is involved. Yeah, we've in been talking about that a lot here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Around so. Up. Right. So, okay. So you have Roundup. Okay. So glyphosate is the active chemical. Roundup is the formulation you buy that you spray. And the, the cancer agency for the World Health Organization uh, came out in 2015 and said, you know, glyphosate is, they didn't say it was like super dangerous, going to kill you, but they said it's slightly carcinogenic, right? It met like the lowest criteria for carcinogenicity that they have, right? Well, came out in later in court documents. And of course you could see all these, you know, out of the blue, you know, there's all these stories like, can you trust the world health organization, you know, and you see these scientists speaking up saying, well, that's not true. That what, what they did is wrong. You know, what the world health organization did is wrong. Rando scientists who really have no expertise in this area came out in court documents that the world that um, Monsanto had an entire campaign ready to go, multi-page campaign of how they were going to attack IARG, right? The the cancer agency, and one of the the people that was mentioned in there was several of these scientists. One was a guy named I think his name was Sir Sir Colin Barry or something like that. This British scientist, right? And he had had a contract with Monsanto. It came out in court cases. Well, guess who Science Media Center was promoting in their press releases mm -hmm. to tell you that, you know, glyphosate is fine and pesticides are fine. Sir Colin Barry. So it's yeah. this kind of feedback loop, you know? Um, and then I believe I believe Science Media Center was mentioned as one of the allies of Monsanto in, in, their, in their press outreach. You know, so you keep seeing examples of this over and over again, and eventually you figure out like, okay, I know what these guys are doing. 
Well, we're spraying it quite liberally around the place too, you'd be pleased to know. So there are plenty of believers down here. Um, really interested in how all this comes together in the last few years with COVID. Um, and the terms that came out, anti-vaxxer, science denier, do they come from science communicators or the psychom industry? Are those terms that come out of there? Or, or if they don't, where, where have they popped up from, do you think? Well, I mean, the reality is that there are, you know, first off, there are like people who really are anti-vaxxers and are kooks, right? But the issue is, is how prevalent, you know, are these people, you know? Um, you know, and what we've seen happen in the last, and I would say like, you know, five, six, seven years is this term anti-vaxxer or anti-science has become just elevated to attack anyone and everyone. You know, I mean, I had never written a piece ever on vaccines ever in my life. I'd never looked at vaccines, never investigated them. You know, I was reporting on Monsanto and people, and I would see suddenly out of the blue, these trolls popping up on Twitter saying, you know, well, what are your views on vaccines? And I'm like, what are you, what are my views on? I don't have a view on vaccines. Like, what is my viewpoint? Like, that's just bizarre. You know, yeah. like what, yeah. what's, what's your, what's your viewpoint on the British, on, on the British band scene? I'm like, what? You know, it was just, it was such a bizarre thing. And I start? realized, hmm. I just realized I was like, okay, well, what's going on here? There's a PR campaign behind this, you know? And so it's become very clear that this term anti-vax has been used to you know, elevate to attack people who just ask random basic questions about anything that's been going on, and what happened during this you know pandemic, um, and I can tell you mostly from you know my reporting. I don't know so much what's happened in New Zealand, but I know that in the United States is you know the pandemic started. The first thing that we need to know was you know how did it start so we could prevent the next one. You know, and anyone who said, well, was this a lab accident? They were called anti-science. You know, they were called a conspiracy theorist. And then, you know, the way that we were going to deal with the pandemic was we're going to do vaccines, masks, and lockdowns. And if you ask any questions about any of those three things, vaccines, masks, or lockdowns, you are anti-science. You know, um, and what do we know now? We know that, like, you know, these vaccines were not as great as we were told they were. We're beginning to realize now even more about, you know, some of the side effects, the whole thing about masks, masks are not as effective as we were told they were. They just mm. don't work that well, you know, not for not for viruses, not for stopping, you know, community transmission of of of, um, you know, viruses. And in the States, at least, we're just starting to realize now about the harms of the lockdowns and how they affected mostly poor people and, you know, uh, poor kids and and the grades and the impact on grades and kids so we were in many ways we were sold this idea these these solutions that ended up just being muddled at best or just flat out false yeah the um the science communicators we've had a few down here during this period as i mentioned before they kind of hit rock star status and some of the health officials kind of uh, achieved that as well what do you think makes people so um, easily sort of, I don't know, what's the word, taken in, some might say, or, 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 or willing to offer such credibility to these people? Many of them weren't actually, um, you know, they had a science background, but not particularly in that area, yet they were kind of good at, at, at verbalizing things. And people really went for it. They really did. They loved it. 
I think with the pandemic, you know, I mean, I think there were there were huge. I don't know how how it worked in your country. In America, I can tell you there were huge mistakes that were made. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily fault governments for making mistakes. I think this was an incredibly difficult issue to deal with. Um, I, I think that any solution was going to have problems behind it. Um, you know, so I, so I think it was one of these things where any policies that we came up, were going to be imperfect, but they were never sold to us that way. They were never, we were never sold to the fact at least I can tell you in the United States that, Hey, you know, I mean, look, th this thing's really scary. We don't know what to do, but here's what we're going to do. This is what we're going to try. And, so, you know, it was, we were sold, like, this is the truth. This is the science and like, stop hating science, you know, and it was denying. Oh. Yeah. Huh? Well, I'm thinking of that term science denier, which is like yeah. Holocaust denier. It's almost got right, that yeah. ring to it. Right. Hmm. right. I mean, and 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 the thing is, is that there are people who do, you know, who do do science denial. But the, the problem with the COVID pandemic is that we didn't really have much consensus on a lot of things. You know, we 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 ran with these narratives of if there was all this, you know, strong science supporting it. There wasn't. I mean, this was a pandemic that was happening in real time and people were trying to come up with solutions in real time. It was impossible that we had like really firm, hard science to, you know, build these policies upon. We were, you know, just casting about in the dark and trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, the people who you'll find out who suddenly were saying the things that, you know, either what, you know, the, the the biopharmaceutical industry wanted to hear or what the governments wanted to hear, they suddenly became the right voices. You know, they had the science behind them, you know, and, you know, and I think in retrospect, when you look back on a lot of the stuff, you're going to realize it was a lot of what they said just didn't hold up. One of our universities is offering um, a standalone course in science communication. There's a whole lot of sort of sub titles to that um what's your reaction to such courses is or are they a legitimate area of study do you think you know i th i think you know the one thing to understand is that science is incredibly difficult for a lot of people to understand you know there's certain areas that i don't you know i mean i don't for instance i've never written anything about physics you know i don't write mm. anything about you know math mm -hmm. issues there's whole areas that i don't write about because i just don't understand those areas you know um, and so there is this idea of how to, um, you know, how do we take complex topics and, you know, explain it to, you know, everyday people. The, the problem we have is that that becomes almost the vehicle for what ends up becoming journalism. And so people think that, aha, I read this study and I explained it to you. Therefore, I'm a reporter. It's like, no, you explained a complex study. Journalism requires much more like than just here's this study and here's what it says. It's also about who is funding this study. How does this fit into the broader field of science? Um, you know, uh, uh, um, is what the government telling you true? You know, I mean, it's just in many ways what happened with this pandemic, which I think is really bizarre, is this idea that, aha, well, the government said it. And it's just like, Hey, look, the government doesn't always tell us the truth. I mean, like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I mean, the government is made up of people who ran for office. Like, they're the ones making the decisions. Like, I mean, as soon as someone, like, you know, as soon as their campaign is over and they're elected and everything they say after that is true. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of silly to, like, when you think about it, right? Yeah, I'm wondering if um, if this, the, the latest form that we've seen of science communication, is that sort of, 
Is that part of what people are now calling, or potentially part anyway, of the disinformation industry? Seems to be a kind of industry now, and a lot of what has been communicated recently has turned out not, not to be true. Let's be blunt. So it's kind of disinformation. Does it? some of it fall into that category now? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I can just give you an example. There's something I was um, just about to write now. Um, it's, it's somewhat complicated, but there was a, a study that came out in the last few weeks talking about how the fact that if you gargle with um, salt water, that can help to deal with COVID. Um, and I can't remember what the endpoint was. Was it it makes you least likely to get sick, or if it you know you 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 get better faster? But it has some impact on helping you to deal with um, you know these viruses. Now, what's interesting is, and then th this was reported, right? So this was just like in the last you know month or so, right? Well, then I looked back and come to find out that was fact check wrong. Like right, right after, right, you know, right after the pandemic started, fact check wrong. Gargling with salt water doesn't do anything, you know. And the New York Times even reported something saying like, well, we don't really sure if like gargling with salt water really does anything. So then I was like, okay, well, what happened before the pandemic? And guess what happened before the pandemic? There are studies coming out showing that like, hey, you know, gargling with salt water can like help with, you know, viruses and help you stop getting sick. There was even a New York Times article about this. So we went from like with these fact checkers, right? Something that we understood, which is that gargling with salt water, right? Can, can help somewhat, like it's not gonna stop you from getting sick, but it can help some people, like a, a, a subset of the population not get sick. It can maybe help you get better faster. So we, this is something that we knew, right? Along comes the pandemic, fact check wrong. This doesn't, this is like gargling with salt water doesn't do anything, better get your vax, right? Well, <laughs> and then, that's what they wanted, it, right? They right, wanted- Right, exactly. And then, and, then it, and then now we're back to start relearning what we unlearned, right? Because of the pandemic. You know, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and that's that wouldn't be the only example um, of what you're no, saying. There's there. been there's been there's been multiples, you know, of these examples. I mean, uh, you know, we're just things that are like. I mean, the the other one that like I looked back and I did on was masks, right? So if you go back and you look at masks, you've got an email that came out with Anthony Fauci early on in the pandemic telling the former head of health and human services, she's asked him, should I wear a mask? So this is in like, I think like February of 2020, right after the pandemic starts. And he goes to this explicit detail. Anthony Fauci was the medical advisor of the president of the United States about how there's no real evidence that masks work. Uh, you know, look at the research, masks don't really work. Um, you know, maybe um, uh, it's not gonna stop you. Get, maybe it'll stop you from spreading it. You know, if you're sick, you know, it'll stop you from spreading to other people, but it's not gonna protect you, you right? He then flips around and says, aha, wear your mask, right? You've also got New York Times, you know, uh, um, columnist Zainab Tufeki writes this piece in early um, February of 2020 for, I want to say, Scientific American, saying, don't worry if you don't have a mask. Masks don't really work. Wash your hands. Says all these things, right? Then by March in the New York Times, she's out there campaigning for masks, right? You know, advising the World Health Organization, getting the CDC to say, aha, masks work, right? I mean, so like we did this whole flip-flop. The UK science advisor did a 360 on this, right? There's videos of her early on in the pandemic. Masks don't work. She then flipped back around and said, wear your masks, right? They had the COVID inquiry in the UK, right? And I believe it was last week or the week before. Yeah. She's testified in front of the COVID inquiry and she tells them, well, there's no real evidence <laughs> 
and masks work. And so how do we like, explain these epic flip-flops? I have no clue what's going on. Because they know that they said that previously and right. they're obviously not shamed by it. Right. I mean, they're not shamed by it. I mean, the other one is, you know, early on all this in the States, at least, you know, uh, you know, get your COVID vax. It's going to stop transmission. You won't get other people sick. And then next thing you know, it comes out like, aha, but we never said this, you know, and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And the latest thing we have now is the CDC just put out the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States put out. Um, there's a tweet going around where they're saying, you know, get your vax, it'll stop the spread and it's get your COVID vax. And it's like, you guys have done like so many flip-flops on all these things, you know? And I, I mean, I can't explain it. Well, I noticed it just reminded me with some of the local communicators at the time. Um, it started off with, um, you won't get it. <laughs> then people got it. And then it was, you won't get so sick. And then it was, you wouldn't go to hospital. And they kept right. on degrading and degrading trying to find right. some benefit somewhere as they were sort of all knocked down in some sort of domino effect. Now, Anthony Fauci, you mentioned him. Would he be then the ultimate science communicator in the world during this period, do you think? Oh, I think without a doubt, right? I mean, I think if you look at the fact that, you know, I mean, he was directly advising the president. The United States had a huge impact on the on, on the coronavirus. I mean, has the United States has a huge impact on anything globally, you know. I um and then we also had this, you know, massive campaign to get, you know, to get these vaccines to market as soon as possible. Um, you know, and you know, Anthony Fauci, so much of what he said is not held up. I mean, the, the funniest, I mean, there was this, there's a very famous clip where he was on where he called, like, if you disagree with me, you're not disagreeing with Anthony Fauci, you're disagreeing with the science. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I am the science. Yeah, I am the science, you know. I mean, this guy has been, I mean, I've gone through so many of his emails. When when I ran um, investigations, when I, I used to be an investigator in the United States Senate, and I ran investigations into the National Institutes of Health because of, you know, all of their ties to the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, I, so I'm a very much aware of how the NIH operates, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and how they sort of work. You know, I mean, we had the director of the NIH in our office several times talking to us. I don't think I've ever seen someone in the field of science so duplicitous hmm. as Anthony Fauci. I mean, when he testified before Congress, uh, he testified during a Senate hearing, you know, and I've, 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 I was an investigator. I had to sit down and, you know, send letters and interview people, you know, and, and, you know, and I caught them several times giving false and misleading testimony. And you, you warn them about that, about what the, you know, what the, uh, uh, um, you know, what can happen to them with their referral to the Department of Justice. Anthony Fauci testified in front of Congress and was asked about research funding that he was, you know, doing and, uh, you know, and research funding that was going to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is where we think, you know, this virus may have started from a lab accident, right? We don't really know. We know there was a cover up to try to cover up, you know, what happened in Wuhan. We don't know, like, did they know that this thing came from a lab or they just concerned that like, whoa, wait, we're funding this lab. And like, mm-hmm. and this is where it all started. Look like, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it doesn't look good, you know. But it's very obvious now the latest are more emails that just leaked out yesterday that came out from a Freedom of Information Act request. And Anthony Fauci was asked this under oath in front of the Congress. And he looked at a senator and pointed his finger at a senator and almost and basically accused the senator of lying. And it was so bizarre to me to watch that, having been a senator. Was that Rand Paul he was talking to? It was Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul. And, and I saw that and I was just like, oh, my God, this guy just perjured himself. I mean, I, I mean, 
I saw it and I was like, wait, what just happened? And I, I actually called a friend of mine, the friend that I called actually, he had been the guy who, um, had run congressional congressional relations for the National Institutes of Health. So he was the guy when I was going after the National Institutes of Health, he'd come in the office and tell me how they were fixing everything. And he's retired now. And I called up and like, oh my God, did you see Anthony Fauci testify? Like he lied. I was like, what is going on? I mean, to me, it was just so bizarre, you know? I mean, but I think, you know, Anthony Fauci, you know, I mean, the way, so the way the system works is, you know, Senator Paul sent a referral over Department of Justice for Anthony Fauci lying to Congress, lying under oath. That referral gets picked up by political appointees at the Department of Justice. They're not going to the Biden political appointees, the Department of Justice are not going to turn back around and prosecute the medical advisor to President Biden for lying to Congress. So we have a monkeyed up system that needs to be fixed right now in the United States. Yeah, I'm just going to say that it's sort of, we can laugh at it. And and you're talking about your country. I'm sure we have um, similar conflicts here, but not quite on the scale. But that's that's a real worry, isn't it? Well, I mean. Someone can get away with stuff like that and none of the institutions because they're politicized the science right. is politicized you could even say weaponized and and someone can bareface lie and it, it'll say what you know well yeah i mean and it's you know several there's been several stories now about you know i wrote about all the evidence showing that fauci was lying you know and there's been more stuff that's even come out you know to show that like he was lying um and you know, and, and then he turns back around and he was on the BBC, you know, just last week. And as he, it's so funny, like it was, it was such a terrible piece. <laughs> it's so, so terrible. It was so embarrassing. Like, I mean, as an American, you know, you know, I mean, I don't, you don't really pay that much attention to foreign media that much. We have such a, we're such a big country, but now that I'm living in Spain and I have a lot of British friends, I pay yep. much more attention to the British media. I pay more attention to the BBC. I listen to the BBC in the morning. I was listening to the BBC on my way, you know, you know, coming back from dropping my daughter off to come to this interview. And, you know, so I have a general idea of the BBC. And I realized, God, you guys are just terrible. I mean, this interview with Fauci, as he comes to greet the BBC um, interviewer, Fauci gets out of this, you know, big car and comes over and they hug like they're two friends meeting for holiday drinks. That's so cheesy. yeah, not the reporter who's like interviewing the guy who's, you know, helped to cover up money that was going from his institute at the NIH to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, not the guy who misled a lot of the public about, you know, a lot of the things, you know, dealing with the pandemic response. It was just so bizarre to watch this and so creepy. Yeah, well, I guess some would argue the BBC's um, political position it would favor, um, I guess, the left. We would call the left's narrative, and um, and they don't mind showing it off because in the old days of media, let's say, and I've been around a while, you would never do that. You yeah, well, fired for doing that, actually. Right, right. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the left. You know, I think it's more like or liberal. Or... Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how the terminology, you guys. I call it center left. You know, yeah, corporate, yeah, okay, corporate, yeah. corporate liberal. You know, because if you do get out on the left, then like, whoa, you're anti-science too. And if you get like just even tiptoe over into the conservative side on anything, like, whoa, you're anti-science. And the people who really kind of control the narrative, I call it like, you know, corporate liberals. You know, they're the ones. Well, who you know that Fauci's not going to get a hard run or any hard questioning if the if the journalist is 
greeting him with a hug. Oh no. I mean, I sat for a, I said, right, exactly. I mean, they're like, you know, old friends, you know, like, oh, hey, great to see you. Good to see you again. Like, Oh my God, I can't Mr. believe science. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's just, it was just, it was so creepy. You know, I mean, I was out, there's a, a documentary that I sat for, um, it's coming out in Canada a few weeks back. And, um, and we went into a lot of these issues about, you know, the whole COVID pandemic response. And, um, I remember afterwards, one of the the people of the documentary was so concerned. She came up to me because, you know, the people working on the documentary are realizing that, you know, because they've spent a lot, they spent like a year now looking at all this stuff. They realized that a lot of what we were told was just wrong about the pandemic, you know? And so, and one of them came up to me and she says, oh my God, Fauci's coming here. I was, I was in Toronto to Hamilton, which is like right down the street to give a talk. And this talk, it has like, you know, $50,000 corporate sponsors, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. you know, $7,500 sponsor for the fireside chat, you know, so he's good. I think he's going to get on the speaking circuit now. Well, there's money to be made there, isn't there? So, um, okay. Well, really interesting chat here. What do you see then the future of this category? It's not reporting, I guess it's promotion PR. Yeah. And what do you know, real science journalists like yourself have to do to stay relevant when, you know, you've got science media centers and science communicators who potentially are rock stars, very well supported out there, probably right. getting the ear of of many people, in particularly in the mainstream. So what's the future of it, do you think? Well, I, I think less and less. I think a lot of people, you know, when you look at some of these people, there's there's one in Canada, this guy named Tim Caulfield, who's a lawyer who's like all over the place. And he said crazy things. You know, he's, he, he, first off, he said masks don't work. And why are you wearing masks? Then he flipped back around. <laughs> he just did the whole thing, you know. And, you know, it's like, then get your vax, get your boost. Like these people just kind of hold, I feel like they just kind of take the temperature of the room to see kind of what people are thinking. And they're like, okay, 65% say this. And then you step out in front and say, hey guys, here, you know, it's, it's, it's this weird thing. I mean, the only advice I can give to people is that, you know, I mean, you've got to read very broadly, you know, like, I mean, I, you know, look for, you know, that's my thing I can tell you. I mean, don't necessarily trust, don't think that because something's mainstream, that means it's wrong. We don't think because it's, you know, not mm -hmm. mainstream, it's wrong. You know, I mean, read widely, look to see if they're citing, you know, you know, real evidence, you know, are they really, are they citing documents? Is it literally just, you know, I mean, again, like the thing I pointed out about that fact check that like gardening doesn't work. It cited no study, this factcheck.org. It cited no studies. It just had a quote from some professor at some university, you know, and you could do a quick Google and find out that like there's studies out there showing this. There's a New York Times article from 2005 that tells you like, you know, there's really good evidence from this study that, you know, gargling can help. You know, it's not going <laughs> to stop you from getting sick, but it can lessen your chances, you know. So I think you just have to read widely and, you know, I mean, uh, you know, be careful. <laughs> yeah. Look for the flip flops. You look for the flip-flops. Sometimes people are going to flip-flops because the evidence has changed. But yeah, I think well, sometimes yeah, yeah. what's happened is it's just the political currents changed. The science didn't change. Science has not changed dramatically. You know, science has not changed dramatically. It goes very, very slowly. You know, again, and this is why I said, like, I'm not so harsh about the way the governments behave because, you know, they were trying to make decisions without a lot of evidence. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, we got to do something, you know, but... That's not what they did. They didn't say, hey, guys, we don't really know, but like this is what we're going to do. It's like, 
you know, here's the solutions. Stop being science. Stop being anti-science. Well, they should know? have asked Mr. Science because he knew where it was being made. He funded it and, right. you know, um, they could have found out from him. I don't know. All right. Well, it's a it's a very interesting area, and it's definitely um, more in people's uh, sort of radar now than it was thanks to the last few years. It's been really interesting speaking with you. Thanks for making us some time in beautiful Spain. And uh, we'll look out for any pieces that come our way with your name attached to it. And maybe we'll chat again sometime. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us today.